We're in the fourth and final week of this series called Deconstructing Deconstruction. And I'll, again, we, we just hope it's been helpful to you. A uh, majority of the testimonies and conversations and questions we've been getting have all been positive and they've all been people that are going through their own journey uh, or walking through it with a friend. And again, that's kind of the goal. And, and if it hasn't been uh, you know, applicable to you today and just yet, that's fine. Um, it might be soon, all right? <laughs> it might be at some point in your life. So uh, for you or your kids or for your family. So again, that's the purpose of this is to just try to be helpful. I'm going to walk us through a little bit of recap. This is our series verse, our theme verse for the series from 2 Timothy. And do your best to present yourself to God as approved. This is not approved or denied as in uh, the idea of salvation. We're not proving things to God to be saved. The context here is telling Timothy that we do have to place effort into our understanding and, and, and the building of our faith. And he says this specifically, he says, I want you to be a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, right? And ashamed of what? Ashamed of the, the faith he's building. Why? Because he's rightly handling the word of truth. That's the context for when he says, I want you to do your best to rightly handle the word of truth as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. And he goes on to say, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, meaning that don't, ma don't, minor, don't major on the minors, don't spend time quibbling over the meaning of words, like this kind of stuff that the Christians oftentimes will argue about to sort of detract us or distract us from some of the main things uh, that we don't want to follow or we don't like, um, is really just a, that's, what it's, that's what it's for, it's because we don't want to deal with the, the main stuff. And so, uh, don't go there. He says it's going to lead you away from God, not towards God. And so, as we've talked about deconstruction, we've given you this kind of ideal, this structure. Um, and again, I know where there's a lot of stuff in your seat right now. Um, we're going to go over this and this in just a minute. Uh, it's got two sides. We'll have both information for you. Also, don't forget the scripture card uh, that's in front of you in the seat pocket in front of you, or it's on the seat if you're in the front row or at the tables. Um, this is the scripture we're going to be going over today, and the highlighted one is the one we're going to be reading together. So uh, if you do not have a Bible, there's Bibles out in the little breezeway there, right by the doors. Uh, those, that's our free gift to you, or just gives you advance notice as to where we're going to be, so you can look it up in your phone and pull it up or pull it up in your own copy of God's Word. But this is the structure for explaining what's actually happening in deconstruction. That we have the Word of God, we have the cornerstone, which is the Word of God, and, and, and Jesus himself calls himself the cornerstone of our faith. And the building blocks of our faith are our theology, our understanding and study of who God is. Our doctrine, which is our belief systems, our worldview, and understanding what God's called us to believe because of what the Word of God says. Our practices, meaning the things we do, church traditions, you know, family traditions, you know, Christian traditions. This is what we do in light of, again, what God's Word says has called us to do, and it kind of results in who we are. That's why it ends with that idea of Christian. It, it results in an identity in terms of who we are. Now, deconstruction usually happens this way in terms of who we are. We, we want to define better who we are. We want to define what a Christian means and looks like. So we have to sometimes go backwards and, and, and make theology and make doctrine and make practice sort of line up to what we feel is true and what we think is true. And so oftentimes deconstruction kind of always happens this way in terms of trying to make all of this result in the kind of Christian we want to be. 
and the kind of Christian we are. And I gave you the example several weeks ago in terms of some of the things that cause this desire to deconstruct, kind of lowest to highest, was conformity over unity. That's, a big, that's big right now with the political agenda of politics, like just conform to the tribe, hitch your wagon to this party and this, all the belief systems of this. So churches have gotten involved in this in terms of, you know, let's just conform to this uh, over, instead of just understanding our unity in Christ, uh, also existential, existential burnout, meaning that people want answers to the big questions of why I'm here and what do I exist for, and sometimes churches have claimed to have that answer, but instead have gotten, again, caught up in the little things and not really help people out. Legalistic disunity, this is the stuff that, where hypocrisy lies in terms of all the do's and don'ts and things we say we're supposed to believe, uh, but people living very different lives, and so it just causes this uh, disunity. Institutional hurt, which is a big one. Uh, it could be church hurt, it could be church as an organization in terms of hurting you, but it could just be Christianity in general because of family members or friends or people in your life who have, uh, you know, cast judgment and uh, washed their hands of you and, you know, really, you had a really bad experience. That's kind of part of that institutional hurt idea. And then the social ideology, which was a huge one. We spent one whole week, the second week of the series, talking about that. I can't recap it. You'll just have to go back and, and look at it on your own. But understand, when I give you that list, I'm not making light of anything that you've personally experienced, uh, legalism that you've grown up in, church hurt. I'm not making light of any of those things uh, in terms of just giving you a simple list. It's just to help people understand what might be causing uh, some of this kind of catch-all idea of, dis, uh, of, of uh, deconstruction in our faith. But I told you last week, and I introduced it last week because I knew we were going to land here this week is that a lot of times people aren't necessarily deconstructing. They say they are because it's a catch-all phrase, but they're not really because what, what, what most people deal with in terms of this modern era of Christianity is what I call the categorization of their faith, meaning that they might agree with this in terms of, oh yeah, the Word of God tells us about who God is and what we're supposed to believe about God and practices when it comes to God and, and, and who we are as Christians, um, but that's separate from the rest of my life, right? That's separate from, you know, what I believe about my family or politics or work or hobbies or finances and, and sexuality and morals and, fr- like, like, it's just different, right? And so a lot of times people will enter into kind of deconstruction conversation or they'll get on the bandwagon with it, and the reality is, well, you're not really deconstructing anything. You didn't believe anything to begin with. Like, you, you, the Bible really never did influence this part of your life, so there's no reason to deconstruct it. You just never really surrendered that part to God. So it's really, it's really just our kind of modern version of Christianity being a domain of our lives versus being all of our lives. Does that make sense? So it's just one of those things that that's what tends to happen. And so I told you last week, that has a lot to do with sanctification. That has a lot to do with just how we're growing in our faith. And here's how the Bible interprets this, okay? Here's how the Bible kind of puts its finger on it, just so you can see how the Bible addresses this area of our lives when we do this. This is Paul. We're actually going to look at Paul's uh, words to the church in Corinth uh, quite a bit today, Uh, but this is the first reference. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Right? I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. He says, I really couldn't talk to you as equals or people who were spiritually driven. He says, I had to kind of talk to you as if you weren't or at best, um, you were just infants and babies. 
I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. And he goes on to say, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature, right? You're jealous of one another. You're quarreling with one another. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? And a great deal of the letters that Paul writes to the churches, it's constantly this reminder that as a, as a follower of Christ, we really are called to be countercultural, right? To the Romans, he said, don't be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That there is some element of our lives that's supposed to look different. It's supposed to be different in comparison. And Paul just says, yeah, but you, you really didn't look any different than anybody else around you. So I really couldn't talk to you as if, you know, you were fully influenced and informed by, by the Word of God. They, I, you know, you were babies, or at least at best, you were babies or infants in the Christian life. Here's how the writer in Hebrews says it. A little bit, little bit harder, the, the writer in Hebrews gives a harder challenge to the Jewish people. He says, there is much more that we'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. I don't know about you, but that, I take that personally, right? That's a personal statement. That's not just a, hey, you might be, you know, you might be. He's like, no, you're dull. You're spiritually dull. You're not paying attention. You're not listening. He goes on to say, you've been believers now for so long that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again about the basic things of God's words. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Again, using that similar language to Paul, it's like, you know, there's, you are in this infancy stage, if you will, of your faith. You can't handle any more than just the basics. But you, and the writer of Hebrews is like, but you should be. <laughs> you know, you've been around long enough. You should be growing more than this and more than you have been. And this is how, again, the Word of God, we're going to see this in terms of maturity, how the Bible talks about um, kind of, the, again, that categorization or that idea that we could sort of make Christianity kind of a side add to our life and not be our life. I and mean, last week we talked about what does it look like to just only use the Word of God to, to inform and educate us. But today I want to go to this chart, and we've, we created this several years ago. Um, and the reason we wanted to put this on every chair and give it to you again is because of the backside and the front side, that it is an understanding of growth. Now, just like we uh, right out, you don't have to agree with every single thing that's on here. We, we made this up, okay? We, we created this um, in an effort to help you. If it's not helpful, throw it away. But it's an effort to help you put some handles on where, where am I in terms of my kind of growing in these building blocks of my faith? Where am I in, in terms of that? Now, there's a couple things you need to know about this chart. Number one is that all of us has to go through each stage, okay? Um, you, can't, you can't skip it. You know, like there is a growth process. That's one of the reasons we use the physical body, because the Bible uses the physical body oftentimes as an example of growing in terms of toddlers and kids and youth and teenagers and adolescents and things like that. So you can't really jump past any of these stages. You're going to walk through these. However, we all approach the stages differently in a different speed. So there is, an, there is something different about how we approach these things, especially with the experiences in our life and the issues we deal with. And maybe the current circumstances you're in. We do go at different speeds in terms of this. That's fine. Spiritual stages of growth are not dependent on actual age, okay? What does that mean? It means that, you know, you can have 50-year-old babies and toddlers, right? Like, I've seen some 50-year-old toddlers in Christianity, but I've also met some 17-year-old adults 
All right? In terms of just knocking out of the park in their, in their maturity and their understanding and their faith and in Christ. And so um, what I want you to know before we, you know, we're not going to go deep into this, but what I want you to know before we go over a few things is just this idea. It's okay to be where you are. Okay? This sounds like a little bit of a group therapy. You know, I'm okay. No, it's, it's okay to be where you are, but it's not okay to stay there. Okay? It's really not. Like, that's not the direction the Scripture calls us to in terms of growing in our faith. We do not want arrested development. We do, want, do not want stagnant Christians who have kind of stopped growing uh, in their faith. And so uh, one of the reasons we put that chart is so you not only identify where you are, but how long have you been there? And are you continuing to, to grow? Are you continuing to move forward? Um, it's okay to be where you are, meaning that the, 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 the idea and the, and the marks, I think, of a healthy church is we don't beat up spiritual babies and toddlers for being babies and toddlers, right? We don't beat them up for that. You know who beats up toddlers for being toddlers? Other toddlers, right? Okay, that, that's, that's where that works out. So we don't do that. Like the mark of a church, I believe, in terms of growing in its maturity and the mature in the church who are supposed to be leading the church and leading by example is to come at this with maturity and humility as we're encouraging people. Yeah, it's okay. Have you ever been in a small group or been in a conversation with somebody who's new in the faith and they just said, out, they just said something and it was the whackest thing you've ever heard in your life, right? They said something about Jesus riding a dinosaur and something else and you're just like, oh, hold on. And then, you know, you'd, hopefully you were gracious and we're like, let's back up just a minute, all right? Let's, let's put a pin in that and we're going to come back around to it because I don't think that's what happened. Okay, so, you know, just trying to help them understand and grow a little bit further and a little bit further and take those steps of faith. And so for us, I really want us to, just as a church to kind of not fall prey to using deconstruction as our catch-all bucket for just the questions and the, and the growing of our faith, okay? Here's how I want us to kind of look at this. We really do want to look at this as informing and educating your faith. That that is a part of your journey, is to be consistently informing and educating your faith, which means some things might change. You might believe things as a toddler, and a baby and a toddler, that you grow in your understanding, as a, as a child and as a teenager and as an adult. Does that make sense? You grow in your understanding. It deepens. That is not deconstruction. That is just informing and educating your faith so that you can grow in maturity. Deconstruction is when you're wanting to modify your faith. You want to modify, you want to add that adjective to the word Christian. You want to modify what it means to be a Christian and make it fit you better. Does that make sense? So that's where we're going to kind of draw the line as we close this series that we want to continue to move down the path of what does it mean to inform and educate our faith as we grow. Let me just give you a few of these scriptures as we read together in terms of understanding the growth in our, in our journey. So this is, I mean, again, this is a really great example. We're not going to go through every, every single one of them, but this is for you to see how you learn, how you receive um, information, and how you process uh, the things that, in terms of building blocks of your faith, how you lead and teach others in terms of how you, you know, share that with others, and then how you express it, which is more of the who we are. It's kind of like how it shows up you know, in, in our life. Um, and so here's a great uh, passage from, I believe, Peter. Peter shares this. He tells us to get rid of all of our evil behavior and be done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all kinds of unkind speech. You'll see this a lot with Peter and Paul, you know, list of do's and don'ts. 
But here's where Peter says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Why? So that you can grow into the full experience of salvation. Again, not to gain salvation, but to, to work out your salvation, to grow in your experience of understanding the grace of God and the gospel and the truth and the freedom that comes in salvation. You want to cry out for this nourishment now that you have tasted the Lord's kindness. One of my favorite psalms is, um, is uh, Psalm 38, and it's uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's one of my favorites. And what, what Paul, Peter's saying, sorry, what Peter's saying is that there has to be a desire. There has to be a craving in you for what will satisfy you, for what will nourish you, what will actually help you grow. So when you're in these stages, um, even though, you know, you, know you, you still need people to help you, you're 100% dependent upon you know, hearing those sermons and listening to those podcasts and, you know, kind of receiving, receiving, receiving. A part of that is just you, you need to receive the right thing. And again, you need to be in the Word of God because you need the, the milk that's going to satisfy that. Crave what will be there. I love the, the message paraphrase of Isaiah 55, which is what we read last week, Isaiah 55. The message paraphrase goes on to talk about all who are thirsty come. And it says, why are you spending your money on cotton candy? <laughs> I just love that paraphrase. Like, why are you spending your money on cotton candy? right? You know what will satisfy. You know what will actually help. You know what will actually help you grow. Why are you spending it all on this, on this junk food, right? And that's a lot of times what people are experiencing early in their Christian walk is that they sort of are looking at the answers in ways that don't really satisfy them. And Peter's like, no, you got to crave, crave that spiritual milk, crave that, that idea of who God is and what he's called you to be. And look, it's going to be messy. Like that's one of the things about Christian, Christian uh, maturity is that it's messy, it's clumsy, right? But there's some amazing times, especially in, in the childhood phase, where it's just fun discovery. And, and listen, if you've never been a part of a small group, this is one of the reasons we do small groups at our church. If you've never been part of a small group where you've seen people new in their faith or just, you know, slowly growing in their faith, if you've never seen them like have these aha moments, where they like, like something, you know, understanding of God or something just kind of clicks for them. It, it's this fun discovery phase of like, oh my gosh, like I didn't even realize that's how grace worked. I didn't even realize that's how this applied. It's, and guys, it's one of the most beautiful things you can be a part of as a follower of Christ when walking with other Christians is watch this discovery happen, right? Sure, there's mimicking times. Like, you know, you know you've seen those Christians that just sound like the podcast they listen to. You know what I'm talking about? They just, they just sound just like the podcast they're listening to. And that's, that's again, it's okay to be where you are, right? That's, where, that's, that's part of your growth, but you don't need to stay there. This is how Paul says it to the church at Ephesus. He's talking about the church, the church's responsibility in terms of the, the maturity and leadership of the church is helping to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. It says, this is going to continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's a big sentence we're going to come back to. We will no longer be immature like children, again, using that language. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, new revelation. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So clever they sound like the truth. 
Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Now, I love this passage because what it tells us as we look at that chart and we, and we know the direction we're supposed to be going in is growing in these stages, growing in our faith. What I love about that is that, look, it's important that you have a trusted source, okay? And trusted source says to help feed and help you grow, all right? I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know if you know this or not, but everything you read on the internet isn't true. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, right? right? That's surprising. So, so do not type into Google, you know, your why do bad things happen to good people question, and, 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 the, and then really take for gospel every single TikToker and every single YouTube reel that in three minutes or less trying to help you understand one of the most complex questions you could ever ask in humanity. Right? Like, like there, listen, there's a lot of people with opinions out there. And here's the best rule. Paul's telling the church in Ephesus, look, the goal is this, but the measure, everybody hear it, the standard and the measure is Christ. Okay? The standard and the measure that we hold everything to is Christ. And so if somebody's yapping about their opinion, and it's just do this, try this, here's a couple steps, here to how's us all that, and it has nothing to do with Jesus, throw it away. Okay? If it's small in a little box with a tight bow on top, more than likely that's not Jesus either. Throw it away. Right? Part of growing and understanding is that the measure, the measure that we hold ourselves to is Christ, to become more and more like him. And yet the way in which that happens, which he said later on, is to speak the truth in love. Because love is the vehicle that builds the bridges to help us grow in our faith. Right? Love is that vehicle that takes us from, from, from one gap to another. It, it helps move us forward in faith and love. Here's how we're going to read this. This is, again, 1 Corinthians 13. If you'll turn to that in your Bible, uh, part of this is one of the verses that I read yesterday at a wedding. It's one of the verses you'll hear at a lot of the weddings. But the context of, of where we are in this letter to the church in Corinth is there's been a lot of division. There's been a lot of stuff going on in the church in Corinth that they've been arguing. We're not talking about lost people versus church people. We're talking about church people arguing about who was more important in the church, what was more important in the church, prophecy, tongues, all that kind of thing. I mean, they were just basically arguing about people's roles and very self-righteous stuff. And so Paul's writing the church and trying to help them and trying to help them and teach them again. He said, I, you know, I had to treat you like you weren't really, I had to give you the milk, you know. But here's where he comes because verse 12 or chapter 12, he says, we're all a part of the body of Christ. It doesn't really matter what your specific gift is. All gifts are important. And he goes on to say that there's a better way to live than worrying about which one of these is, is kind of the top of the brass. And he goes into 13 and he says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's mystery, mysteries or secret plans, as it says in the NLT, and possessed all knowledge... And if I had faith that could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and then sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And he goes on to explain what that kind of love is, a description of that love. He says, this kind of love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every 
circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. These are the things that they were arguing about. He says, now, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, he's basically talking about glorification, the time of Christ. Time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But when we see, when, when we will see everything with perfect clarity, right, then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And he says, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things are going to last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, say it out loud, love. Isn't that an interesting context of that particular chapter? Where he says, look, we're going to argue, we're going to argue and argue about who's, got, who's at the head of the board in the church, right? Christian people are going to argue about who's, who's right. And he says, and yet all this knowledge one day is going to be useless. <laughs> it's not going to matter. And you can see Paul admitting his own process, his own journey, to say, I was a child, I thought like a child, I behaved like a child. He's like, and then I, and then I put those things behind me. And even now, Paul says, all my knowledge that I have is incomplete. It's partial. Because one day we will have it all. That's, that's Paul's humility to say, I don't know everything. One day, one day, I'll see it. And that's what you see us moving towards in terms of our maturity. You see us moving from opinionated ignorance, okay, in those teenage years. Oh, they got opinions, right? But they don't know anything. You ever heard a teenager tell you how to adult? Makes you want to slap them so hard. Slap them to next Tuesday. I mean, it's one of those things like they don't know anything, but they have a huge opinion about it. But that does move us to inform preferences, which means we can know what we know. And yes, we will always tend to lean towards preferences, but true maturity comes with informed humility. Meaning that I may know what I know, but humility comes when you're like Paul and says, but even what I know might only be partial. Even all that I do know might not be the full picture, and I'm okay with that because my goal is to continue to learn and continue to study. We're never going to get there, right? Being an adult and a mature Christian is knowing that you're never going to fully ever be there. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. He told him to teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them, talking about the, the, the truth of the Word of God. Some people might contradict our teaching, but these are wholesome teachings of the Lord. Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. And he gives him a quick litmus of like, here's when people disagree about things, there's a litmus to test to know, are things promoting a godly life? Or, and it goes on to say, anyone who teaches something different, well, they're arrogant. They might lack understanding. They, they have an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. Good Lord, help our political system, right? Like, I can't stand, that's one of the worst things about the news right now is I hate watching people quibble over what word meant this and what word meant that and what word we're going to create to mean something else. 
But listen, guys, Christians do this all the time. Quibble over the meaning of words. It stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. And then he goes on to say, these people always cause trouble, their minds are corrupt, and they've turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Now, they were doing some unhealthy things to do that, but uh, read that in the broader context of the, the way to show, to show themselves that self-righteousness that pops up, even if they disagree, is just so that they can win, so they, they, they can control things, so that they can be successful, so to speak, as, as a believer or as a some quote-unquote Christian, blank Christian, right? And, and, and that's, that's really the trouble is that, you know, we're not always going to agree on everything. Listen, I told you last week, there's a lot of secondary doctrine in churches. That's denominations are split over some issues of secondary doctrine. And we, you're going to have your biblical math, and I'm going to have mine, and we're going to get to a place that maybe we don't agree. But we are both living in such a way that we are promoting a godly life, that we are living to honor God with our lives. And I want you to know that that's okay because our unity doesn't need to be in that thing. Our unity is in Christ. It's only when it becomes about winning. It's only when it becomes about me being right. It's only when it comes about the areas that take away. They just cause arguments and slander and division. And you know that's not what God has got. Here's how Paul said it to the church in Philippi. He said, let those who are spiritually mature agree on these things. But if you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Now, you can view that as arrogance in terms of Paul. But I think it's okay for Paul to say, look, even if we disagree on this, let God be the one to reveal it. Right? Let, like, like, even if we don't agree, let God be the one to make it plain to you or, or to me. And it says, but we must hold on to the progress we've already made. Do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't spend all this time and energy, you know, creating unity and coming to places, but then disagreeing on something that is not essential. And then finding a way to be like, well, we just, you know, we got we to gotta toss it all out. This is why I told you last week or the week before, like, some of the information in the chart I gave you, like, don't use any of this to determine whether someone's a Christian, right? Like, don't, don't look at this list and be like, yeah, but they're not a Christian. No, that's, this is an incomplete chart for that, okay? And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But, like, God didn't give us this for that. Like, he gave us this to understand where we are in our faith. They might not be, but they might just be a baby Christian. They might just be an infant or a toddler in their understanding. They're still categorizing their faith. They're still separating everything out. So when it comes to this, when it comes to, to understanding who we are, I told you last week that, that we build everything on the Word of God, and again, that should be the only thing that informs the building blocks of faith. And the building blocks of faith are everything for us. We don't categorize these things out because our identity, and I think I shared this with you, just not that I don't like the word Christian, but to help us stand apart from, from, from everyone else trying to make Christian mean whatever they want it to mean, if when you call yourself a follower of Christ, it is the closest you're going to get to the biblical term of disciple. It's the closest you can get. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's my identity. Everything in my life is tied. To, the, to being informed and educated by his word in terms of my faith. So I was praying through how to end the series, and, and a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Shen, Pastor Nicole, and, uh, and me, and some of our lead teachers and volunteers for family ministry, we were down at a family conference, and one of the pastors shared a great illustration. 
And he was using the reference to a passage that I love. I, this is one of my favorite passages uh, in the Gospels. And he was using an illustration, and I was just like, oh, what a brilliant, beautiful illustration. So I'm going to use it today. I just want you to know, that's, this is not original for me. I, I, I got this a couple weeks ago. God answered my prayer <laughs> and gave me what he wanted to close the series with in terms of the heart behind how we do this. How do we move forward in growing in our stages of faith? How do we move forward so that we can be identified as followers of Christ? So I want to read the passage, then I'm going to give you the illustration. The passage is from John 15, and I want you to say a word out loud as soon as we get to it. The reason I'm using, by the way, I'm using the NASB translation is because of the word, they use the word over and over and over again, I think really just to help us understand what it means. So when we get there, I want you to say it out loud with me as I read uh, the passage, okay? John 15, 1 starts this way. It says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. This is Jesus talking about, I'm the vine, my father is the gardener, the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Meaning, talking to the disciples, like you are already at a certain level because you have heard my message, because you've understood the gospel up to this point, that they understood it. And then here's the word I want you to read with me. What's that word? Abide. Okay, so every time you see the word abide, I want you to read it out loud with me. Ready? Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it what? abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am, the, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, he can do nothing. If anyone does not, what? Abide in me. He's thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them up and cast them into the fire and they're burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, right, this is the way in which we do that, if you keep my commandments, you will what? Abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you so that your, my joy, my joy, Jesus says, my joy will be in you and that your joy may be made full. So I love this passage because I was like, oh man, this is so good. Like this is one of my favorite passages of Jesus just talking about what is going to be, what is the thing that satisfies our soul? What is the source of all hope and faith and love for us? And the source goes back to this idea of what does it look like to abide in him and have his word abide in us? That word abide is to dwell, to, to remain in, to surround oneself in, right? That word abide. And I was just like, man, I just love this, this, this picture of abiding. Now, I'm going to give you another, this is the example that he gave, which I loved, because listen, none, I don't, many of you aren't gardeners and farmers, and I understand that, some of you are, uh, but many of you are not. So the idea of vine and bushes and branches and growing and fruit, you don't get it, it's fine, okay, I understand. 
But here's a great illustration I saw in terms of this idea of abiding. And it has to do with tea. Okay? So it has to do with tea. Now, when I'm talking about tea, I'm talking about actual tea, like hot tea, right? Now, I grew up in Canada, by the way, like so, in case somebody didn't know, I was Canadian. Um, I, I, I moved to the States when I was 13, and we moved to Florida. And that was a pretty big deal. Like, I know, I know that we're, you know, we're Canadian, we're not really English, but hot tea was still a very big thing in terms of the culture of Canadians. It was still after dinner, it was tea, not coffee, you know, in the afternoon, it was tea, not coffee. And so boiling water, making tea, the tea sets, all that kind of thing, that was a very common thing kind of as I grew up. That was a very common thing to see. Now, I didn't like tea, but it was a very common thing to see people drinking hot tea. Then I moved to Florida, and tea was just this weird pancake syrup in a cup, right? Like that's all it was, a a pancake syrup with ice, and I tried it, and I was like, good grief, that's insane. But that was their version of tea. And I never saw, I mean, of course, it was Florida, but even, even living in North Carolina, like hot tea just wasn't, it was a very different experience than what I grew up with. But the concept is still there. The idea of tea is that there are two kinds of people that kind of approach tea. There are the dippers, right? There are the dippers and the, what's the word? Steepers, right? They're the dippers and the steepers. And you've seen these people at Starbucks, right? You've seen them at Starbucks just you know, just like some sort of magic potion to kind of like get it, get in there, shake it out, you know, get mix in the water, do what you got to do, you know, and, and that's fine. Like that's, they, they, they're probably doing that to the whatever level they want their tea to taste. And there's all sorts of weird tea now, but like, you know, there's other reasons to do that. But the, but the idea and the visual was amazing because when you think about the people that just sort of dip it slow, you know, kind of quickly in and out of the water, it really, it really makes a very small difference. But for those who let it steep for a good amount of time, for those who don't even boil it fully, because that's, that's the way, by the way, you don't boil it fully. You, you let it steep when it's lukewarm, and then you warm it up even more. Just a quick tea pro tip for you, all right? <laughs> that all of, the, all of the antioxidants, all of the benefits of tea get to come out at that point. And when I think about that John passage, I think about, wow. What a picture of what it is to abide in Him, to just steep, to let the Word of God steep in my life. Why? So that His joy, the fullness of His joy can make me full, can be the thing that nourishes and satisfies my every need. And it's only going to happen when I abide in him, because this promise is that he's going to abide in me. And again, Jesus only gave us one, one point, one reference of understanding who we are in terms of followers of Christ is that we would bear fruit. And don't, and we didn't, he doesn't mean bear fruit like trying to make fruit happen, right? He means bear fruit because you abide in the vine, you abide in him and he produces fruit in your life. And that is the only thing we've been given to show that we are truly followers of Christ. We have to abide in Jesus. We have to abide in, in the cornerstone of our faith. And guys, this is, and this is, I'm going to close with this, but this is, the, this is the primary way in which we kind of share our faith with others. 
This is how we as a church, you know, you saw our mission as you came in, to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. The way in which we do that is by living such lives that are abiding in and steeped in the Word of God, that we live differently, that, we, that, we, that, that our lives look different from everyone else. And the problem, I guarantee you, the, the number one reason that a lot of this deconstruction and stuff that we've been dealing with as a church for the past 50 years has a lot more to do with the fact that we have a whole lot of Christians sort of dipping the Word of God in once in a while, once a week, once in their, in their life group, when they can make it once that month, they're sort of dipping, 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 and, and they, call themselves, you know, they call themselves a Christian, but there's some pretty weak brown water trying to pass off his tea. Everybody with me? They're just some weak, brown, nasty water trying to pass themselves off his tea, and it doesn't look any different than anybody else. Versus what actually happens is the maturing of our faith, being independent and balanced, being informed and humble, and, and having a healthy practice of living this out is what's supposed to be different about us. It's supposed to be the reason that someone questions why. Why do you believe that? Why, why do you look so different? Why are you responding in such peace compared to the anxiety and the anxiousness that's around everyone else? And that's one of my favorite things, even when I come, I'm going to close with this verse, as I was thinking about just that abiding in, and that abiding in, and that steeping, in terms of that, the picture of the tea. One of my favorite verses in the early church is when Peter and John, they've been witnessing in the temple, they've been, this is after Pentecost, and, and they've been witnessing in the temple, and people have been coming to Christ, and they're sharing faith, and they're, and they're, and they're healing people. And the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees are upset. They're mad. They're upset that these guys are creating all this ruckus and stir. And they just got rid of Jesus. They were hoping that was it. And now they're preaching in the name of Jesus and talking, doing things in the name of Jesus. And they're all upset. So they bring in Peter and John. And here's what they say. This is in Acts 4. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Right? Basically, that there was nothing really, truly exceptional about them. They weren't rabbis. They, weren't, they, were, they were just normal Joes. And then it says, but they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That the difference maker in their life was they had just spent three years abiding in Jesus. They had just dedicated their lives on that mountaintop when Jesus said, go and do this, and I'm going to be with you, and the power of God's going to come on you. They had just decided, this is what I'm giving my life to, to abide in him. And I want that to be the same for you. I don't, it doesn't need to be anything else in our lives that, that kind of sets us apart to be extraordinary people. It's okay to be an average Joe or Jill or Jane. I don't know what the words are. It's okay. What I want to be exceptional about you and me is that people look at us and they go, they have been with Jesus. There's an abiding that's happening there. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the encouragement of your word. That we do get this incredible opportunity to abide in you and you and us and and that you are the one who promised, you promised us, the promise is that you will bear fruit. 
you will produce the fruit in our life of a changed life. So God, I'm praying that the words that we spoke today, that no matter where people are on their journey, no matter people, where people are in their spiritual growth, that they understand this isn't for conviction, this isn't to say you know, you're not where you're supposed to be, but just that it's okay to be there. But it's not okay to stay there. Because you are calling all of us, every single person in this room, every single person watching this online, you are calling us to maturity in you. And yet, God, we know the only way to do that, to inform and educate our faith in the way that you've called us to in terms of just your word, handling your word, is to abide in you. We pray that you give us that conviction, you'd give us that calling for the rest of our lives. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.